I have been on this theme once again. We spoke, and it was great. Richard just encouraged me uh, just before, uh, just during that break, and just about what we've been speaking on the last uh, week or so, uh, last Sunday, about God's secret hand at work. We kind of always see that God is doing, but God is always up to something significant. And we look through the history of our lives, and we look through the history Israel and the Bible, and God has always got a plan and a purpose, but we don't always see it. We don't always see if He's protecting us fair. So, in our Bible plan, if U.S. has gone through, we are on the story of Moses. And for me, Moses is just a fantastic story. Like, they should make a movie about it, or make a theater show of it. It's so tremendous. It would be a good idea. And it shows us the secret hand of God. A God that is small beginnings. And a little bit of a backstory to before Moses came on the go. That God was going to hear a nation through Abraham. That God had a predestined mandate on Abraham's life that he would be the father of a great nation the weekend, Israel. And God was going to take him into a land flowing with milk and honey that we can was the land of Canaan. God also prophesied to Abraham that his descendants would be in bondage and slavery for 400 years, but that God was going to rescue them out of that place. And that's really far we pick up the story of Moses, that Joseph went and lived in Egypt and he became profound. So, Joseph got his family to come into the place of Egypt because it was a place of provision and it was a famine in the rest of the land. And so Isaac moved and moved his herds and families to the place of Goshen. It was a place of protection. But God's destiny was now that the nation would live in Egypt. And there's different pictures that people take for the Old Testament readings, because we've got to recognize that the Old Testament is a shadow or the new, that just in picture form. There's different pictures or life. So you can't read the Bible and just think it's great history that there was an Abraham, an Isaac, a Jacob, a Joseph, that they went to this place called Egypt, and they got rescued, a guy called Moses. And it's good history. We really got to read the Bible and say, what does that mean to us? And so, there's a few pictures that people say, oh, Egypt, they would say it's just the spirit of the world that is in conflict with the spirit of Christ. It's to do with, if you're unfamiliar with us terms, the spirit of the world, we would say about just being ambitious and sometimes greed and lust. Anger are the spirit of the world that we see, but the spirit of Christ is to do with love and grace and generosity. So, some people would say that Egypt is a picture of that. It's a picture of the world and its values. Egypt was a place of multi-god worship. Pharaoh was in charge, and he was a horrible person. But God didn't want His people to remain in that place, but He had a promised land for them. And some would say, well, the promised land is heaven. It's a place that we are going to go through Jesus Christ, through His deliverance. And some would say that the world is, again, the spirit of the world is found in Egypt, and the promised land is not heaven per se, but it's Christ. But He's a promise. He was a promised Son, and our God's promises are yes and amen through Christ. And some other people would say, well, Egypt actually lives within us. 
It's a temptation that we face in daily lives. It's a sand that we fall short on in daily lives. And our promised land is the Christ life. Then Jesus sets us free for the spirit or the flesh that lives within us, and we're truly free in Jesus' name. So there's different pictures we could take of Egypt and the promised land. And at different times in my Christian life, I feel comfort in each picture. I want you to take you to a place with just the small beginnings in Exodus chapter 1. We've got to read a few verses for verse 8. I love this verse. So, that's about 300 years, maybe, after Joseph. And there's a new king that cares nothing about the story of Joseph. We'll pick up in verse 8. Eventually, a new king, so Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. And then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. Verse 12, but the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. I just love that verse, that Pharaoh tried to ramp up the oppression on God's people, but says that the more that the Israelites got oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread to the alarm of the Egyptians. Sometimes our darkest days are our days of our greatest growth. Sometimes as the enemy comes against us in our life, is a time that God breathes new life in us, and it's times of great growth in Jesus Christ. And as I was listening to Elsa's prayer about the pandemic time, that was a time of oppression for us. That was a time when we felt, oh, if it is going on, we didn't see God's hand at move. We kind of meet. We was doing live things. We did prayer meetings online, but there was a sense that we would rather be together. But yet, God was adding to His church, and God was moving. And it seems to be when the hand of the enemy comes against the church, God raises up a standard. And for sure, some people drifted. And for sure, some people wondered. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of good news was being spread far and abroad to the highways and to the byways. And God was capturing people's hearts. And He was making sure, even at a time of oppression, that God's people would multiply, that God's people would be strong. In our own life, sometimes our darkest moments or times or our severest trials from our on our knees and our hell is breaking loose and we think, far are you, God? 
is a time that we draw closer to God. It's a time when we can lean on His Word and His presence in a time that Christ really just does something in our life that is extremely valuable. Underline it in your Bibles that when Egypt came and oppressed Israel, even so, the more they oppressed, the more the Israelites multiplied. People have been trying to snuff out the church since its conception through the moving and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Romans try to close our doing, try to capture the apostles, martyring almost every apostle. Yet the more oppression, the more God's moves. And He's marked sure His word has spread. We see it in the persecuted church as well. That the more they go through persecution, the more Jesus seems to pour out His Holy Spirit and revival power. And God had a plan. And God sees the end for the beginning. And sometimes I want God just to answer my prayers, like when I'm marking a pot noodle, that just within four minutes, four minutes for a dish of delight, that we're going to pray, and then God's going to move, and we'll see results quick. That astounds me about the life of Moses, is that God could have rescued Israel at any time, and just snatched them out. He could have sent an angel, but yet He sent a baby. And as we read through the story of Moses, he was given birth. And 40 years he grew up in Egypt. 40 years he grew up in Egypt. He was given back, as we're going to read, to the household of his parents. And then he lived in the household of Pharaoh for 40 years. And he had this sense within him that he was a Hebrew, he was a foreigner in a foreign land that God had a plan for him to be a deliverer, and he had all the richness, all the fame that Pharaoh could give him. He had a title. He was prominent. He was really, really somebody. And for 40 years until he's seen a Jewish brother of his getting persecuted. So I wouldn't recommend this, but it's part of his story. He killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Because he had this thing, this is not right, this persecution. God had a call upon his life, but he went around. Why? About seeing it fulfilled. And then, a couple of days after, he'd heard people speak about Moses, the murderer. So he thought, oh no, I'm caught. And then for 40 years, he wandered in the wilderness until at the ripe old age of 80. Fathers are 80 year old, Moses is in this place. Chris, Charlie. Somebody else, 80. So think of Chris and Charlie in the backside of a desert. Suddenly, God shows up in a burning bush, peculiar burning bush because it wasn't evaporating. And God calls them to go back to Belga. And God was going to not just judge the folk in Belga, but the false gods. He was going to judge Pharaoh and rescue his people out of Belgar. It's an amazing story that God waited till Moses was 80. He could have picked some young, fit, eloquent person. There's different theories of why God waited for 
Moses to be in the desert for 40 years. Some would say, didn't have to just to remove him from Egypt, but he had to get Egypt to a Moses. That he'd lose his love for Pharaoh and the people in the Egyptian way, and then he became a nobody. God says, now you're ready to be a somebody in the kingdom of God. We get the benefit of the hell story, but we're going to concentrate for a moment just at the start of his life. Verse 22 of chapter 1. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. This was Pharaoh's solution to lessen the numbers. You may let the girls live. Could you imagine that? The Nile was supposed to be a place for the Egyptians of life. The Egyptians were into their foreign gods and the foreign god that they said was to mark the Nile flourish was Osiris. It was supposed to be a place of life given that people would be at the river bank and it was to a place that plants and places would flourish along the Nile. But now it was a place of death. Unimaginable, isn't it? That people would give birth. Sorry for being gruesome, but this is just in the Bible. Folk would give birth and say, is it a male? Is it a female? If it's a male, just throw them in the river. Incredible suffering. There must have been incredible screams of anguish amongst the Hebrew people. This is a reality. In chapter 2, about this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. This is Moses' birth. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus seed reeds, waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the, river, the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the river bank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying. I joined two things, a crying baby and a heart of a woman. She felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. We'll stop there. Isn't it amazing, God's plan of deliverance that we see here without looking at the rest of the story, just in seed form, that I was just a Levite, a Hebrew man and woman, they got married. Moses wasn't the first child, so God waited for Miriam to come along, and then God waited for Aaron to come along, his big brother. Suddenly, there's just this little baby. We came the story. He's going to grow up and be a mighty man, a God, a deliverer. And God could have moved so much quicker, but in seed form, we have this special baby, a baby that looks vulnerable, a baby that's going to cry. God's orchestrating the whole thing because even though we didn't see him move, he's moving. And in one sense, it looks like God is doing nothing. As Hebrew boys were getting thrown into the Nile, it looks as though God is doing nothing. Do you sometimes think, God, far are you? 
Or am I the only hand that thinks, God, where are you? Where are you moving? Where are you answering my pot noodle prayers to come quickly? Babies are getting thrown in the river and God is doing nothing. But yet God is doing something out with the sight of man in seed form. It's coming into spring. We love spring, don't we? It's time to get my polytunnel. My, I say polytunnel. It's like a meter square little plastic shed thing I bought. Half a wish. <laughs> the blue doing in a storm. I need to get back up because it's still doing. But it's a time we plant our seeds. I'm not a great, is it lobotanist that's into seeds planting? People that's into flowers, I'm not sure the name of them. It still amazes me that you take a little seed and you, it's in a packet, but it's just still a little seed. In fact, you, do, you bury it, water it, a bit of sunshine, it comes and develops into a fantastic petunia ready for a hanging basket or a fuchsia. You put one seed next to another seed, you can't tell a difference, but it's so small. Some of them are so tiny, but yet there's DNA or something in air, and people have can how to separate, but it looks nothing like if it's going to be, does it? Like if I was God, I would have made the seed of a petunia, just like a little petunia, because that would be simple. See, like just a little lean, and that would have been the seed. You plant just a little petunia, it grows up in a big petunia, but you dinner. You get this little obscure seed that looks like nothing in the world. Yet there's a plan and a destiny and something within that seed that is powerful for growing. And you bury it first. And it's out of sight. And it's out of mind. And then you don't really start seeing the progress until something shoots up out the surface. Here we see God delivering His people in seed form. He's buried, really, Moses. He didn't send a warrior to march in to Egypt to Anewai and deliver a people. But there's a story about a young, little baby. I wonder, in the majesty of God's plans, that we trust God enough that even when we didn't see that He's moving, that God, you are still doing something in seed form in people's hearts, and it's buried, and it's out of view, but we trust God as we declare His words, the good news, that God would bring the increase into people's life, that before the amazing revelation and its right, Elsa, we believe and pray for revival, that God would pour out His Spirit, but yet we are seeing it in droplets and seed form before the big revelation. If I've got to keep trusting God until it's the big revelation, even though we feel buried, the way the world buries us, we can. He's a God that moves and will move in deliverance power. There's the birthing of this baby. Back to verse 2. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that it was a special baby. Back in the original Hebrew, that word special means beautiful, means fine. There was just something about Moses that was just instantly beautiful. Amazingly, you can follow Exodus. Moses. 
Imagine writing a book yourself, and I came on the scene. I was a beautiful baby. There's this humble brag here for Moses. There's just something about him. And he wrote her with something about him. But usually, when a bairn is newborn in that baby stage, you're just going to say, that baby's beautiful anyway. Because little babies like that are born, ain't they? Come on. They're bony babies. They're cute. Women get broody and think, apart from Isabel, she's like, we've had enough. But at that stage, every, every baby is beautiful. We used to go and you used to push a pram and people would pop their head in when the bairn was sleeping and try and waken him up and tickle him and all that, which was quite annoying. Didn't annoy a sleeping bairn. But for us, Babies were beautiful. Couldn't imagine ever thinking or somebody saying that a baby wasn't beautiful. Or parents not agreeing like Moses' parents they agreed that this baby is beautiful. Can you imagine if somebody came as Burns were babies and Abdi else was saying, you've got a really beautiful kid. Be unthinkable for me as a parent to turn around and say, nah, I don't think so. I'm <laughs> just not sure, in fact. We might have given birth to Shrek. Just, we need to check. But there was something in the heart of Moses' parents that says, this is a special child. Maybe God had told him. But there's no record of God telling him anything. There wasn't an angel that showed up and says, look, this is Moses. He's going to be a deliverer. There was no miracle of them knowing that the destiny of Moses was going to be that he was going to be the one to rescue the Hebrew slaves for the hand of the Egypt, yet this seen in seed form, hold on, I think God's got a plan here. And when you could hold a, no longer hide them because babies grow, there was a time when you just kind of hide your feelings about Jesus. She made a basket of papyrus reeds, waterproofed it with a tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the river and released the child. Every parent will care sometimes you've just to release your child to God. This is God's plan in seed form, the birthing story. God on the move, out of sight and out of mind. That story I've just read, a story of instinct, it's a story of survival. Every other boy is getting thrown into the river, yet Moses' parents sees their child and think, I'm just not doing it. I'm not throwing him in the river. I'm going to mark, since we can hide him no longer, I'll mark a basket, put tar in it so it doesn't sink or waterproof it. I'm just going to trust. Just got to release him. When I read that story, I guess a bit of my just thinks it's just maybe a woman's instinct. You get this thing, survival instinct, and you think, well, I'll just take the chance. It's my baby. I may want to throw him in the river. I'll defat a can to protect my child. And it looks like us. And a lot of times I read that, I just thought, well, let's just survival instinct. 
That's all it is. They took a chance. They didn't fear the king or his decrees. And then I get to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. We'll maybe get it up there. Listen to this. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. In one sense, it looks like they were just doing what they could to survive. But on another hand, God looked upon that scenario, <coughs> excuse me, not COVID, I've done a test. God looked upon that scenario and says, you have got great faith. That action was great faith. In the biblical record, there is no God speaking. There is no an angel. It's in seed form. They did what they could to survive, yet God's seen it as great faith. And I wonder if sometimes we just put things in great faith like this. Great faith is when just amazing miracles happen. And somebody gets healed, and somebody gets delivered, and somebody gets saved. When there's anointing preaching and God is moving, that comes through great faith. But when we move to survive, well, we don't really need faith for that. But I wonder in our life, when it looks as though we're just doing what we can't survive and thrive, God says, that is great faith. Let me explain. For single moms that do what they can to put food on the table for their kids, some would say that's just survival instinct, yet in the day unto God, God says this, that's great faith you are displaying to clean, to get employed, to do what needs to be done to put food on the table. God says, you are displaying faith because Moses' parents just did what they could so that life would flourish and people would survive. But sometimes we just think great faith is great outward expressions of God's amazing hand in church times. But sometimes great faith is displayed in the nitty-gritty of life, and people are just trying to look after each other the best way that they could. And people dropped off food parcels to other people during a pandemic, and they didn't have to. God says, that's faith. That's great faith. It's done in secret. When you had that feeling to encourage somebody so I really need to help this person. And it's just like putting Moses in a basket. You're doing what you can so that life could flourish. Out whether the public display of God's hand, God says, by faith, by faith they did it. Be encouraged this morning. God maybe sees faith different to the why that we have been taught. We think about the Christian superstars, Billy Graham's great faith. Great faith. Smith Wigglesworth's great faith. Great faith. Yet the Bible records for us in Hebrews 
that great faith can be shown through parents that just want their kids to survive. And this is God's deliverance hand in seed form. I'll move on, then we'll finish with a final point. Amazing God's hand that we see here. Reading from verse 5 again, soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river. Her attendants walked along the river bank. When the princess saw that the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby, the little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. And the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She asked. Yes, do. The princess replied. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. Come on. Isn't that just amazing? The woman took her baby home and nursed him. Here we see God's invisible hand. So much things we think happen by chance when we read this. You've got a Levite, mother and father, but through survival instinct thinks I'm going to protect my baby. And they throw him in the river. And they mark this basket, be tar, the prayer, place him in, and he gets released and as the father reeds are growing. And they just trust God for that moment as they release their child. And lo and behold, next door, bathing with Pharaoh's daughter. Isn't that amazing? Maybe, maybe the parents knew this. But yet, the baby had to be found. Maybe God just pushed Moses just up the river just a little bit. And maybe he hit, the forecast had to be bonny because Pharaoh's daughter had to be bathing there. So God's invisible hand just parted the clouds and was like, Pharaoh's daughter, it's beautiful outside. It's time to go out and get a suntan, bathe next to the Nile. And she goes out. Meanwhile, it doesn't look as though God's doing anything. Well, babies are still being thrown into the Nile, but God, he's up to something. And she notices this baby gets teen her. And God's like, Ken, how I'm going to connect the two. Moses needs to greet that's what it says. Moses started to cry. And then Pharaoh's daughter thought, oh, something within her heart. Now, if it was Pharaoh that seen the baby, you can't feel what had happened. But Pharaoh's daughter, a woman's heart, less brutal, since told on, this is a real baby. This is somebody. I kind of throw him in the river. And then Miriam, Moses' big sister, was nearby. Pharaoh still recognized, oh, this is a Hebrew baby. And so the woman recognized, and he's a Hebrew mother. 
<laughs> so Miriam says, okay, right. Do I find a Hebrew mother to nurse the baby? Pharaoh's daughter, yes. And so Moses gets put back into the arms of Moses' mom to be nursed. A lot of things hit the heart when people got coincidences, God incidences. A lot of things hit the heart and line up for that to happen. And I'll end with this point because I just thought it was a good point when I read it. Verse 9. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. Isn't that grace? Isn't that God? I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. We are hell what a cash to make sure it happened. Perfect poetry, perfect theater. God's fingerprints are this. Our God is a poet. Perfect poetry is this, a release of faith through natural instinct in baby form and seed form. And she got back for she gave her wah. But God made Pharaoh pay the bill. <laughs> this guy that was brutalizing and killing the Hebrew babies, God made him pay the bill to bring up the deliverer under his nose. When God is on the move, he does things perfectly. God made Pharaoh pay for the deliverer that 80 years after was going to come back and set his people free. Isn't it great when God makes a devil pay the bill? Different things come against because God is a God of justice. He's a God of love. And when people are coming against, when the world, the spirit of the world is coming against his people, he marks the devil pay forever laying a hand on him. He picks up the paycheck. When I think of things that could have destroyed you, it could have destroyed me, yet we are here worshiping Jesus, knowing that He's on the move, that God is a God of deliverance, and He's made the devil pay forever laying a hand in our lives. Praise the Lord. And when I look, it was such a wonderful chorus. When I survey the wondrous cross, isn't it just an anthem of the church? I would love to sing it to you, but I kind of sing. But when I survey the wondrous cross, you came for happened there. That was the place that Jesus made the devil pay. For all the things that he has done and doing towards God's people created in his image. And the peculiar thing was the cross was also the devil's idea. Because it says the devil entered Judas to betray Jesus. 
And there's a crowd cried out to Jesus, crucify him. The devil was also crying out, crucify him. Be done with him, because he kent that he was the son of God. Yet God is the one that knows the beginning for the end. And the devil thought that he was being part of stopping God's plan for Jesus' life. And as Jesus hung in that wondrous cross, when I survey the wondrous cross, it's a place of murder or criminality or blood or sorrow and love gently mingled. And as Jesus was breathing his last, he came in the devil was doing pain a party because he's the end that got Judas to betray Jesus. But God's a perfect poet because when Jesus breathed his last and says, it is finished, the devil thought, yes, he's dead. We've taken out the champion. But what the devil didn't expect is that it was payback time and it was got to land on his head. For the plans of the Lord will prevail. And the Bible records that Jesus at that moment went down to the place of death. Can you imagine the devil enjoying his little party? And then Jesus shows up <laughs> in spirit form, glowing like a champion. And it says up until that point that the devil had the keys. The keys, that's keys to death and life. It was given um, humanity, lost, lost it through sin, back at the garden, the keys. Then Jesus shows up and says, it's payback time. And he says, come on, give me back the keys for death, hell, and the grave, because it's payback time. And then it was witnessed three days after the death of Jesus was the resurrection of Jesus. They got it in seed form before. Now behold, your deliverer is coming. And he showed up to the apostles and he showed up to the disciples to say, hey, the deliverer is here. You didn't recognize man's seed form, but here I am in actuality and reality. And it was payback time and it says that apostles moved in such a power that they as well went and destroyed the works of the enemy. Let's thank God that he gets Pharaoh to pay for stuff. A deliverer that would be raised up to take his people out. And I just want to close with this thought. We see in Exodus chapter 1 and 2 that God was moving in seed form, this little baby. Be encouraged this morning that our hell might be breaking loose in your life. But God is still moving in your life. And it's maybe not for the world to see it, for God often hides a person before he reveals a person. You know, Jesus was 30 years really doing one thing publicly much. He was just growing up in seed form, and he had three years, three years of ministry, and God would reveal him.
that God's plan will be fulfilled in our life. And God's up to something in our families, in our communities. The deliverance is coming. Salvation is coming. Ah, the things that have come against us and came against you, that will declare that this is payback time. That God has got the, the years that the locusts have stolen. God will give us back. We feel as though we've went through barren places for things have been stolen for our lives. But may God burst forth supernatural power and we would see that the tree is no longer in seed form, but it's fully flourished and ready to burst. I remember in a prayer meeting years ago, there was a word given. And it, I've always held on to it, Julian, and I can of you might, and I'm sure you do might, that we was seeing droplets of God moving. That it was like a crack in a wall, and we were seeing droplets. But we would see a deluge at one point. That God was moving in seed form in secret places, but he was going to burst forth and mark the devil pie for our coming against the church of the living God. And he came from them struggling and had times that not sure about God's bigger picture and God's bigger plan. I go back to that word. That God, you are moving. It's maybe just droplets. And we've got a belief for the deluge. Because the prophetic words that has been spoken over this church and this community is phenomenal. Phenomenal, I've heard through the years. For God is doing and God wants to see done in our lives. But let's declare it's payback time. That God's deliverance power is here. I'm going to ask the worship band to come up. I'm just going to pray a prayer out. Let's just stand for a moment. Colossians 2.15 reads this. It's amazing, as we've been reading as well through the life of Joseph. Again, the patience of God, but God can take a bad situation and turn it around for good. That was Joseph's testimony. He was thrown, rejected for his family, put in the pit, but God oversaw his life. He was found in the palace. And then as the story went on, you realize that God had put a famine for his family was and made Joseph flourish. And the brothers that set him in a pit then journeyed to meet Joseph for the dinner until it says he could withhold it no longer and then says to his brothers, I'm the one. I'm the one that you rejected that you threw in a pit. It's Joseph. I'm alive. Go get my dad. Let's have a party. And Joseph says, look, didn't I you feel bad about this? Didn't I feel bad? For God has sent me ahead of you to provide for you. And then he says this wonderful verse. He says, what the enemy made for bad, God has surely turned around for good. It's payback time. There was a payback time moment. We need to declare this upon our lives that the last two years have been difficult, Yeah. It's been difficult. 
It's been difficult. But for the enemy meant for bad, God can turn ruin for good because it's payback time. In Colossians 2.15, Paul writes and encourages the church. In Colossians, speaking about the cross, in the same way, Jesus disarmed. This is the things we didn't see in the spirit realm. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities in this way, the cross. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. It was payback time on the cross. We had a wonderful time of communion and surveying the wondrous cross and maybe God is reigniting his church to the power of the cross. But the cross is now lost its power. But as for us, as we survey the wondrous cross, it is a display of God's power over the enemy, that he disarmed the rulers and authorities in the unseen realm, the devil and the demons, shaming them publicly our the cross. Let's declare that our, our lives. God, we thank you for your company of people. And God, we declare that this would be a moment that we declare out the church it's payback time. That the things that have come against us are the hopelessness, are the sickness, are the disease, are the loneliness that we felt buried under. Yet God, even when we couldn't see you move, you are on the move. And we declare payback time over the powers and principalities in the unseen realm. You have disarmed them. And we pray and declare that we welcome in this season, not just of the droplets dropping, but of the gushing rivers flowing. That even now we can sense that you are in move and power and deliverance and healing and salvation, that the revival is not just coming, that's already started in our hearts, Jesus. And we declare for the enemy meant for bad, that today would be payback time, that God, you would turn ruin for good. And we take this moment as a church for, to pray for them that feel bound in Egypt, that they feel in turmoil in their hearts and they feel fear in their minds and their bodies is sick, that today would be payback time that we receive the mind of Christ, that Prince of Peace would come and anxieties would go. Our fears would be released in Jesus' name as we get filled of your perfect love, that sicknesses and diseases would go in Jesus' name and the lost would be found in this time for we declare this is a moment of payback time that Christ, you are Redeemer, you are King, you are Lord and you are Rescuer and you are our Deliverer. And we raise our voices and say thank you that you're a miracle wonder working God and your plans will prevail. And it has been prayed, you love each one of us with an everlasting steadfast love. And you watch over your word to bring it on to completion. Let's raise our voices in praise and worship and thanksgiving. Let's put our hands together as we rejoice under the powerful name of Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's release a praise offering in this place. You haven't seen a move, 
but he is on the move and he is coming with great power to rescue his people. Let's put our hands together for our deliverer, King Jesus.